Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for tuning in. It's deja vu all over again. There's a showdown in Congress about raising the debt ceiling. Republicans in the House want to use the debt ceiling as leverage to pass cuts in search of a balanced budget. Some Republicans have suggested abolishing the IRS and no longer collecting taxes. Instead, they propose funding the government with a national sales tax of up to 30 percent. And will they actually say out loud that they support reductions to cherished social programs like Social Security and Medicare? Well, we'll have about five months to find out. The political fight is ongoing. Last Thursday, the Treasury began taking what it calls extraordinary measures to avoid defaulting on U.S. debt. Those measures will run out in June. In 2011, the mere fact that Congress bickered about it for several weeks was enough for the stock market to shudder, and the U.S. credit rating was downgraded for the first time. The Biden administration has said that raising the debt, sem- debt ceiling is a non-negotiable basic duty of Congress. Permission to bring the country to the brink of default or perhaps into actual default was one of the conditions Speaker Kevin McCarthy had to agree to in order to be elected Speaker. My first guest today is Kathleen Day, a professor at the Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business. She joins us on Zoom. Professor Day, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. So here if, we go again. It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah, it <laughs> is Groundhog Day. Debt ceiling. Yeah. Um, if uh, first of all, the the debt ceiling is a statutory requirement. Um, has anybody ever suggested that there not be a ceiling? That you know the 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 U.S. government simply be allowed to borrow the money that it needs to meet its obligations? Has has that ever uh, you know had any any uh, political chance? Yeah, it, it happens all the time, and there are proposals for how to how to not happen. In fact, uh, most countries don't have this that we have. I think the only other country that has it is Denmark, and they have a, such a high debt limit that they won't reach it before the sun goes dark. I mean, it's a, it'll mm-hmm. be a long time. So yeah. The, there, there is this. There is this question. So, what's going on that Congress does to itself, and this is a Congress-made problem, is Congress, by by the Constitution, basically is controlling the purse strings of the country. So it says, it says, okay, we're going to set the budget, and we'll let y'all, uh, we'll let the spending be ten dollars, and now we're going to set taxes. And we're going to say collect eight dollars. We're going to let you spend ten. We're going to collect uh, collect eight, and we're going to let you uh, borrow uh, two dollars. So that's so those are the three things that Congress does. It says here's what you can spend, here's what taxes you can collect, and here's what you can borrow. The craziness is that the difference between what it says you can spend and what you can collect in taxes is the deficit. And when you collect that year after year, that becomes the debt. It's, it's a cumulative thing. And so if you can, if your debt starts going up, you know, a dollar a year, and pretty soon you have five dollars in debt, and you can only borrow two, it's a little crazy, right? I mean, what if I said to you, you you can you can spend this much money, and and we'll give you this much uh, money in tax collection to pay for it. Uh, and the shortfall you can borrow, but if you reach a limit, you won't be able to. Yeah. So it's crazy. Who do we owe the money to? And if Every, we if everybody. we if we default, what can they do? Um, what can they do? Well, 
here's here's the the really big problem here and this is what the play hamilton was about in many ways this is what hamilton understood at the beginning of the country if you don't pay your debts if you default just like a human happens to individuals not humans obviously individuals individual humans um, if we collectively as humans default on our debt in the united states then it's just the same thing you get a bad credit rating and the cost of borrowing goes way up the last time this happened i, I collected a few numbers here the last time this happened i mean it's been going on congress instituted this this in um, in World War One, it, it said we're going to have a debt ceiling so that uh, we don't have to keep appropriate saying how much you can borrow. We'll just say you can borrow up to this much. And if you reach that, then you have to come back to us. And, and that makes some sense. But um, but then you have this crazy um, game of chicken and who's going to blink first every time you get up against the debt ceiling. But the last time, so they've had to up the debt ceiling. I think it's like something like 90 to 100 times over the last several decades. So it's not new. But in 2011, we came so close to defaulting that the uh, Standard & Poor's actually downgraded U.S. debt, which was un unprecedented. And that added just that year, um, well, the stock market fell uh, in, and lost uh, millions and billions, millions and millions of dollars. But um, it added $1.3 billion to the cost of borrowing just that one year alone. And when people uh, extrapolated, um, uh, the estimate is that, uh, that it cost taxpayers because of that downgrading. We didn't actually default, but we came so close. We came very, very close um, that it added about uh, close to $20 billion in additional costs of borrowing over the next 10 years. So through through uh, 2021. So it, it cost taxpayers. That's the big thing is that when you lose when you lose your credibility, when you default, people are saying, for whatever reason, you're not paying your debt. And when we were downgraded, the risk was not because we didn't have the money. It was because of political risk. And that's what's going on now. So because of political risk, people are losing trust in the ability of the United States uh, to function and pay their debt and pay our debt. And that's not a good thing. It raises our cost of doing business. It can cause a recession. It'll cause layoffs. It'll cause um, credit card debt, uh, the interest on credit card debt to go up. Everything that you buy will will be, it'll cause inflation. It's just a big mess. Kathleen Day is an author, a journalist, and a lecturer at the Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business. We're talking about the possibility that Congress will not extend the debt ceiling and that the United States will go into default. Uh, most people are talking about June as uh, a, a target, uh, a, a time that, you know, uh, Janet Yellen will be, uh, will have run out of uh, arrows in her quiver to uh, manipulate uh, monies from one uh, place in the budget to another. I mean, these are these extraordinary measures that uh, Secretary Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, informed Congress that she was already taking. Um, she did that last week. Um, if we breach the ceiling, uh, or, you know, uh, would we be able to issue any new debt? I mean, uh, what what would what would uh, what would the immediate effect be? Could we could we borrow another dime, or would we simply have to uh, make our budget uh, work within the bounds of the revenue that we were collecting? 
Well, there'd be a lot of defaults. And and here's the thing that, again, the, the big, big picture, and then let's get to the what would happen day to day. I mean, it, it, people might not get Social Security checks. They might not get their Medicare. I, it, it, people, veterans might not get um, checks, pen, uh, government pension. There, there's all government salaries. You might have to, to do a shutdown. Now, a government shutdown, there have been times when we've uh, flirted with that too. Flirt is probably too mild a word, but uh, uh, um, but that's when you don't get the budget passed. And so government shutdowns are one thing, but if you can't pay your debt uh, and you owe a lot of money, which the United States does, although relative to our economic activity, you could argue it's not that much. Uh, but if you don't, if you default, you could end up not being able to pay government workers, not being able to fund the military. It, it, we have to you know, our 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 debt is thirty two trillion dollars. That's that's not nothing. And if we don't pay that, it can reverberate down to individuals and what checks they get and what checks they don't get. Checks being metaphorically, most people have it electronically deposited. But it it, it really is not uh, a theoretical problem. Now, the again, the bigger issue, the United States is has been until now um, deemed its debt has been deemed the most risk-free debt there is. And so yeah, all people, people talk world, about the full faith and credit of the United exactly, States of America. Exactly, full faith and credit of the United States. And what that means is that the United States, the rate of treasuries that you pay on government debt, it becomes the base, base mark, the benchmark on which all other interest rates for borrowing are set. And so if you blow that up and you suddenly say, well, maybe this isn't the mo the riskless or the most risk-free, and it's, nothing is riskless, but the most risk-free that you can get, if you suddenly don't have that status anymore, who's going to replace us for that? And, and it will throw markets into chaos, and it literally will raise the cost of funding Social Security. It, it, one of the reasons that we're here is that there's a small band of radicals who want to uh, get rid of of Social Security and Medicare, and they've, they've said that, um, and they would really love to get rid of it, and they certainly would like to curve it. And I think they're not thinking it through. I mean, in times of recession, the fact that there's Social Security checks means that people can still spend money in the economy. There's all kinds of ways that Social Security is a kind of a ballast for the economy. Anyway, it, this it would really be chaotic. It, it's one thing if you want to change the policy on Social Security, you don't do it in a crisis, in a fiscal crisis like this. You just don't do it by 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 putting a gun to the head of, of the ability of the federal government to meet obligations that Congress has already approved. Right. This isn't about new spending. This is about spending that's already been, uh, you know, part of law. Let me go back to what I asked before. When I asked who we owe this money to, you said everybody. But I've heard people talk about the national security implications of uh, busting through the debt ceiling, that uh, China in particular is a big lender to the United States. I mean, who are who are the major lenders? Uh, there's a lot of them, obviously, but who are the, the, the sovereign nations or the institutions that are uh, funding this debt uh, of $32 trillion at the moment? Uh, the, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Saudis, they, they do like our debt, but it's not we did, we don't we don't have the exposure to foreign holdings. The last I looked, I think it was twenty five percent of the debt is held by foreigners. So most of it we hold ourselves, and that may seem a little crazy that even the U.S. government holds its own debt. Now, obviously, if it suspends payments to itself, that may it gets very metaphysical here. Um, yeah, <laughs> what it would does. that mean? 
but but uh, you know when the when the Fed is trying to raise or lower interest rates, it, it buys government debt. I mean, and Social Security, uh, people don't realize for for many years, many decades, was taking in more money than it was paying out, and so it had a, a trust fund savings. And it would put that into um, government securities. It would buy that. So, so we owe it uh, all over the place. Um, but and foreign governments d- do own it. But they 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 can't. I guess they could dump it if they if they no longer um, if they no longer trust it. And if everyone dumped it at once, it, you know, wouldn't be pretty. But the worst thing is is that you'd have to pay anyone who would buy treasuries in the future would want a higher rate so you would have to all the treasuries that are out there their 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 value their face value goes down because they have to yield a higher interest rate and then going forward the debt itself you'd have to issue um debt with a higher interest rate you have to pay people just like when you declare personal bankruptcy or you don't pay your own uh bills it you have to pay more to borrow because you're a bigger risk of course, we all recall that Kevin McCarthy uh, took him 15 uh, ballots to finally be elected Speaker of the House, and he had to make a number of concessions to those folks uh, on the far right of his party, the Republican Party. Um, New Yorker magazine reporting that one of the things he pledged was to pass a bill in the House. Uh, it, it will not pass in the Senate. But this bill in the House would make the Treasury Department, if the the uh, debt ceiling were breached to prioritize certain kinds of spending, including interest payments on the national debt. In other words, they put into to law what the Treasury Department had to pay first when it came to the revenues that were coming in. Um, what would that kind of plan do long-term uh, economically? It just kicks the can down the road. If you're going to constantly flirt with defaulting, but you say, but we're going to pay our interest first so we don't have the worst damage, it's not really... It's not really helpful. I, during this all, I keep thinking of someone, uh, a Republican, a staffer on a, uh, a major Senate uh, committee once told me, he said that, um, who, do, who do Senate Republicans hate more than House Democrats? House Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this internecine battle between the factions in the Republican Party, um, you know, has been on on display for all to see now. Certainly during the the fight for the speakership, that was true. Um, What what kind of uh, political impulses behind these suggestions to uh, abolish or at least uh, curb in big ways Social Security and Medicare? Uh, At one point, uh, some folks are uh, suggesting uh, abolishing the Internal Revenue Service, no longer having an income tax, replacing that with a th- somewhat thirty, somewhere around thirty percent sales tax. What would those kinds of uh, those kinds of moves actually do to the deficit and the debt? Well, it, it just it, you're changing the policy of funding in the middle. You're changing horses in the middle of a stream, just to use a hackneyed phrase. This is debt that's already incurred. You can't. You you should appropriate the money to. You should figure out how you're going to pay for it. And so, one of the plans in the tax bill under Trump, one of the plans all along, is they they had that enormous uh, drop in taxes. And they purpose and they weren't worried about funding it. They keep saying the deficit, the deficit. They act one of the plans of this radical group 
always was, well, let's make the deficit go up. And then we can come back and say, you got to cut somewhere. And then we're going to go after our, our, our coveted targets to cut, namely Social Security and Medicare. And I think it would be very unpopular. I think it'd be like getting rid of deposit insurance at banks. I think uh, 60, uh, 66 million Americans uh, get Social Security. Um, and it's mostly self-funding. There's not that much uh, tax, additional tax. People pay for it through payroll tax. I think it'd be very unpopular. I may be wrong, but I I may be wrong about deposit insurance, but I think people like those safety nets. And I think by having uh, the sales tax, by just moving it to sales tax, I think you are um, putting it on the back of more the middle class. And that's the engine of the economy. And I think these radical... Uh, uh, folks who want to do these radical things don't really understand the importance of the middle class in in being the economic engine. I really do think you have to have uh, a federal tax that is fair and equitable, and you need to give the Internal Revenue Service the money to do its job. I mean, it may be popular to say, let's go with the pitchfork and get the tax collector. Uh, it's a little medieval. Um, <laughs> We're we're the biggest economy in the world. We have a lot of things that we do right. There's, of course, we should be talking about how much money we spend. Of course, we should be talking about where to cut waste. But let's not do it by going, uh, going after the, going after the messenger. Uh, If if Congress is going to say, here's the budget, and here is, um, and here are taxes, and the two have a shortfall, then you need to allow the government to borrow to fund the gap. It just common sense. You don't sit there and say, okay, let's appropriate this much of a budget. Let's say this much in taxes, but then make the government unable to collect it. And then let's also not let them borrow money to pay for it. It just It's crazy. Uh, during the Trump administration, uh, I guess it's more than $7 trillion of additional debt was added to uh, the ledger of the United States. A lot of that took place during 2020, the year, the first year of the pandemic without a vaccine, etc. Um, President Trump, former President Trump, uh, gave a speech last week in which he said that Republicans shouldn't touch Social Security and Medicare. Uh, it does does the president, does Joe Biden have any recourse uh, in this uh, by himself in terms of executive orders. There was a piece in the New York Times yesterday, Jamel Bowie wrote uh, about Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, known as the Public Debt Clause. Uh, and I guess there are some constitutional scholars who think that perhaps Joe Biden by himself on his own uh, could make a move to extend the debt ceiling. Have you heard much talk about that? It, that's one thing. That's one thing that could happen. There's also this idea of, of uh, there's one reporter uh, who's um, put out the idea of having certain kinds of bonds that have a different name or very high interest rate. Or and then there's also the platinum coin. Uh, the problem with all of these is that the market will see through it and will say that this is a gimmick and you're not really you're not really facing the problem. I mean, another hackneyed, we need to grab the bull by the horns and look the bull in the face. We need need to grapple with it um, in a more adult fashion rather than in this factionalized way that with all the rhetoric that, that, again, this radical group is just doing it because they think that's what their base loves. They love riling them up. They know better. 
They they really do. That's what's so irresponsible about it. They know better. And many of the people that are saying that this should happen are very are the very people that took some of that money that expanded the deficit that was supposed to be an insurance program during COVID. Remember the, the the payment protection plan? A lot of the people, some of the people who are the most vocal about, oh, we need to cut social security and we need to 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 to, to not, you know, we need to do this, are people who took that money. Sure. I mean, and, and we're forgiven that debt. So, you know, what's up with that? So I think people ought to follow the money and they ought to listen. They ought to, instead of listening to what people say, look at what they do. And a lot of these people are just um, saying one thing while they have their hand in the till. Uh, John in Pasadena sends an email with a quote. Uh, Should any political party attempt to abolish Social Security and eliminate farm programs and labor laws, you'd never hear of that party again. There's a tiny splinter group that believes you can do these things. Among them are H.L. Hunt and a few other millionaires, but their number is small and they are stupid. This is from Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, uh, a long time ago. Um, The markets right now, Professor Day, don't seem to be all that concerned. Um, uh, the markets had a terrible year in 2022, but that didn't have to do anything with the, with the debt ceiling and the possibility of uh, not extending it. Um, what, what do you think the window is going to be for the markets? I mean, you mentioned in 2011, it was just the fact that there was so much uh, uh, back and forth and arguing about it that the, the credit uh, rating of the United States was lowered for the first time. Um, what, if, if, if we're looking at June, by the time we actually run out of money, uh, how, how close to June uh, can we get without uh, roiling the markets again, even if eventually the debt ceiling is increased? I, I, you know, if I if I knew that I I wouldn't be on this show. I'd be out making a gazillion. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can answer that unequivocally. But markets don't like uncertainty, and but this is also another discussion. I I believe that interest rates have been held artificially low for too long, which has really uh, given an, an a kind of adrenaline rush for a very long time to the markets that I don't think is sustainable. I think uh, a little bit of inflation might actually uh, raise what people earn on their savings and uh, and bonds and other things. I'm not sure that the be-all and end-all should be in how we gauge economic health should be the stock market. Certainly, we don't want it to crash, obviously. Uh, And certainly, we want um, a healthy stock market, a robust stock market and way for companies to capitalize to to raise money but you i think that by the fed has kept uh interest this is a a somewhat different discussion they've kept interest the, the market was so robust for so long because i believe because in part because interest rates were so were artificially low. Yeah, and you're um, right. You're right. That is a, a conversation for a different day, uh, which we will try to have sometime. But I appreciate your time today and, uh, you know, look forward to having you on again so we can keep keep uh, tabs of all this stuff. Well, let, let's hope sanity prevails and they, they pay their bills. And if they want to have a serious discussion, then have the serious discussion afterwards. Indeed. Kathleen Day is an author, journalist, and lecturer at Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business. And coming up, WYP. Our news director, Matt Bush, joins me with analysis of Governor Wes Moore's first budget proposal. Matt joins me after a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR.